Sass Backwards is sponsored by Austin Lawrence Group, specializing in demand gen for SaaS. It sure is noisy. I deleted 100 emails from vendors just this morning. Your buyer has gotten better at ignoring you, and you're going to need a big idea if you want to cut through all that clutter. Austin Lawrence is just the right agency to help you find it. So if your campaigns are falling on deaf eyeballs, let's talk. Visit austinlawrence.com today and let's build something bigger. Welcome to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, where we reverse engineer the success of fast-growing SaaS firms and explore strategies CMOs and CEOs are using to drive their businesses forward. Welcome to SaaS Backwards, a podcast that helps SaaS CMOs and CEOs to accelerate growth and enhance profitability. Our guest today is Michael Lazor, founder and CEO of SPSoft, a managed service provider that specializes in end-to-end SaaS product development with a focus on healthcare and health tech. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? I think everybody's good who's listening to this podcast. I think this is where to be. I hope they will be even better once we finish. Yeah, I think everyone's going to be better off when we're done here, Michael. Thank you. But before we dig in, tell us a little bit about your background and your company, SPSoft. With a pleasure. So I'm the IT guy with probably more than 20 years of experience. And I started as a software engineer, like probably many IT guys that are like me. And I used to start companies. I used to sell and exit companies. I used to run what I sold for the big international enterprise players. I enjoyed working in small teams, like a few people as well. I have built large teams, like 1,000 plus people for the large international enterprises. So at the moment, I'm again enjoying running rather a smaller highly efficient and boutique type of a company. Why boutique? Because we focus on fewer relationships, which we are really keeping an eye on and pay a lot of attention to, rather than big volume of the relationships that are at mass scale. And of course, we are deeply involved in creating software. That's great. And you have a specialty in helping young companies go to market. And one of the things in our prep session we talked about was accelerating the time to the MVP, the minimum viable product. And you said you have a method for getting to the MVP in four months. So I want to dig right in on how you get that done and what the benefits are to your clients. If you are lucky and if you actually prepare well, you can even get to the market in two months or faster than that. So let's break it down. First of all, how do you get your MVP to the market in four months or less? First of all, you have to prepare and you would have to do certain work that nobody except you can do before your four months to MVP is started. What type of prep work you should do? It's just like me and you before this conversation, we did a prep session. So same goes for the MVP development. You have to do the research and you have to know your competitors as well as you have to know your unique competitive advantages that you want to build. You need to be more specific than just the idea that you have in your mind. You have to spend some time and put your effort to write the artifacts and break down your ideas 
on electronic paper so that you can share them with somebody else. For example, with your future MVP development team. And you will see pretty soon that when you put down your idea on the electronic paper, it requires structuring and thinking and thinking over and iterations. So your prep work starts now, the research, the product design, and the written artifacts before you start the development is one part of your prep work that will set you for the success of building your MVP in less than four months. Once this part is done, I would strongly advise you to identify the key resources that you would need in order to build your MVP in less than four months. Your key resources, both the in-house and external, if you are going to fully rely on your in-house, no problem with that. If you are going to fully rely on your external, no problem with that too. Also, as my experience proven, there is a great way to combine the in-house and external resources to build your MVP. But however, which way you go for, you need to have your resources identified, selected. They should be proven. You need to have a sense of the proven, successful track record of very similar work to what you are about to get them involved in. If they are totally non-proven, it's a total risk for you that may compromise your timeline to get your MVP in less than four months. And your in-house resources should be hired before you start your four months MVP to the market journey. And your external resources, if you have any, should be booked, selected, proven, and booked prior to these four months to MVP. Because if you are trying to do it along the way, find the right people to book them and to test them, most probably things will go wrong and your time to market in four months will be compromised again and again. So you should be well prepared. You have to have right people. You need to have your research and product design and your thoughts structured and done and written. Then you stand a chance to get it done in four months. So there's a few things embedded in that that I just wanted to touch on briefly. You talked about documenting what you want your MVP to do. Do you have a recommended environment for people to use to put their ideas on paper, so to speak? Are there templates for Word or are there other tools? You know, would you recommend people using a design tool like Figma to capture what they're looking for? How would you recommend they document what their work is going to be? All right. So the best way to do it in the way that is not too complicated would be to write the stories and to create the Figma wireframes. Some of the people who hold the idea, they would not want to play with Figma wireframes and with Figma mockups. In that case, they can either rely on somebody who's fine with that and would be their counterpart or their peer or partner in putting their ideas on the Figma paper. If not, they need to put together the stories that describe the capabilities of the future system and the capabilities of different roles in that system. So the user stories plus basic Figma wireframes would be, I would say, the basic blocks for the future putting ideas on paper. Also, I would advise to take a look at the process and methodology, which is called Business Canvas. 
which is the approach of justifying your idea and its features and capabilities, justifying with ROI and defending in front of yourself why this particular piece of functionality you think is needed and how it's going to be paid back by the future potential users. So it's justification of your pieces of the idea that you break down the idea with. So could you just give me the name of that process again? Just so that it business canvas. Business canvas. Great. So yes. we could look that up and dig into that. Listeners who are interested, right? Yeah. We cannot touch base everything here, but I can briefly mention a few. So the basic blocks would be the stories and the Figma prototypes. The business canvas would let you justify and rate which pieces you would need and why, and how do you think you will make money off of them in the future? Great. You know, this is a great point to depart on the idea that if I'm a subject matter expert and I have an idea and I've done the work, but I'm not a technologist and maybe my co-founder is not a technologist either if I'm lucky enough to have someone else share my vision. Is that a great case for partnering with a firm like SPSoft? And how do those engagements get structured to mutual benefit? So usually it's a great tandem, a great combination when the co-founders would complement each other and they would cover the sort of business vision, the sales, the marketing or go-to-market strategy and the investor relations on one side and product management and some understanding of technology on the other side. That's the best case scenario. But sometimes it happens that the both co-founders would be rather on the non-technical side. And we have this type of clients. And in that case, it is still possible to complement this other side that is covering the technology with the right partner. And SPSoft is gladly doing that for a number of clients. It's tricky if the partner is wrong, then you don't have anybody that you trust to actually supervise and control what your technology vendor or technology partner is doing. And you would be blindly trusting whatever decisions are made by this partner or vendor. So it's tricky because it's risky. But if, for example, you are betting on taking the flight on the airplane of the proper airline company, or if you are going to the hospital with a really good brand name or with the really good proven track record of the doctor, you are also taking that risk. You are just making sure that those whom you are entrusting your life are trustworthy and reliable. Same goes for the, using the technology partner. And you can track these things. You can validate the reliability of your partner by calling his current customers, by talking to them and having an honest and open conversation with them, especially those that are in the similar position that do not have an internal technical savvy co-founder or leadership team member that would be supervising and checking everything that SPSoft or the company like SPSoft is doing. If there are clients who prove that it works for them, then there is a good chance that it will work for you. So always do a research and check whoever the external technology partner or vendor you are relying on and do not try to save your time on this check-in. It pays back because I've seen many clients falling down by betting on their own technology partner. And we were called and invited to be rescuing them when it was really quite late 
and the deadlines were violated and the budgets were wasted and spent and time was wasted as well. So I've seen many times the bet on the wrong partner and the consequences that the co-founders, none of which were technical, had to take because they chose wrongly. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's a more common situation than many casual observers in the SaaS space would expect because I'd say about 40% of our podcast guests, and we're up to near 60, are non-technical founders. So I think it's an important piece of founder planning to consider the option of outsourcing the development. So I just think it's a really interesting opportunity, and it might not be apparent, especially to the non-technical founder, that there is such an opportunity. We can even dedicate the whole separate podcast or topic of what are the common early stage warning signs and what are the recommendations of choosing the proper external technology partner. Because in 20 years, I have seen so many (laughs) failed cases that could be avoided that you... Don't want to know how many. That happens in my business too. You know, call it the agency client emergency room. We definitely have rescued our share of clients as well. As service providers, we often come in to clean up somebody else's mess, but that's another podcast too. Hey, you guys specialize in healthcare and telehealth, right? And I wonder how that benefits your clients from both domain experience and maybe some of the stuff you've built that, you know, you can bring to bear. Yes, good question. Thank you very much. So initially, me and my team were just a group of very good software engineers and architects. And we had wide variety of the domains related to the projects we previously delivered and worked in. This is how SPSoft basically started about five years ago. So about three and a half years ago, we were introduced and pulled into the digital healthcare space by one of our business friend who used to be a product manager for a number of digital healthcare startups. After that, we have built more than 10 digital healthcare platforms and products, and more than six of them were in telehealth space and domain. So initially, we were learning a lot, and we were listening, and we were researching. And after the few initial projects, we realized the patterns and the common needs and the probably the common solutions that would satisfy these needs. This is when we started to commonize and generalize and structure our knowledge. And during the last three plus years, we came up with our guidelines and recommendations of how the telehealth platforms and solutions can be built so that the patients and the providers would benefit the most of them. How did we do it? Lessons learned, mistakes made, and conclusions made as well from all these lessons. And the knowledge was accumulated, aggregated, and shared. We basically came up with our SPSoft accelerated way of building the telehealth platforms and solutions for the new era of the virtual care providers that are really popular these days after COVID boosted this type of a market and this specific domain. So what can our clients expect from us, thanks to our specialization? They can expect from us strategic advising on the product roadmap and the product design knowledge 
So we would help them to basically come up with the roadmap planning and the product design of their product, not just build the product and source all the information, what needs to be built and how it needs to be built from them. We would be giving them advices and insights on what's the best way to address certain things, wherever we have the knowledge from our past experience. And we have plenty now. Also, they can expect the cost efficient and faster development of these solutions. Having done that a few times, we know now what's the best way from point A to point B to deliver the result and what third-party components and libraries we should bet on and which ones we should avoid. And the last thing that I would mention here is our partner's ecosystem. So we partner with other companies who have spent years and millions of dollars building their technologies that would augment our overall offering to our clients that are operating in telehealth space. And we bring those partners with us. So having that domain knowledge is going to smooth the way to an implementation. And it sounds like you're offering clients a partnership in product management too, right? Like helping them imagine or refine the vision of the product so that they have something really special. We definitely fill up this gap because you should remember that software engineers, they cover just a piece of a puzzle of creating the SaaS platform or the product. And there is a big gap between the people who have the business vision and who hold the business strings in their hands and the engineering team that needs to have a very sliced and structured and detailed digestible information for them to be efficient. So all that big gap is something that fortunately we can cover and which we actually cover for probably more than half of our clients. That's great. So we started the podcast episode with the idea that we could get an MVP done, minimum viable product done in a hundred days or less. I want to turn the episode upside down a little bit with you and tee up a question I know you're waiting for, which is, should we even do an MVP at all? And I think that it's almost become a habit or a trope in startup land that we're going to build an MVP. And I want you to make the case for why Maybe we don't want an MVP and what we do want instead. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have witnessed some of my clients who came to us and asked for the MVP and we built it for them the way they wanted it, plus some additional refinement from our side. It never took off the ground because there were no people who were willing to spend these monthly subscriptions of $29 per month for the service that was offered by this product. So the question is, could our clients know it upfront? Sometimes there is a simpler way to check it out. And sometimes there is none and you actually have to build it and then try to acquire maybe the non-paying users and then try to offer them some extra features for the subscription or for the payment. So let's have a look at the case where it's possible to check upfront whether there will be interest from the potential buyers, users, payers for your product before investing 100K or 200K into the MVP. First of all, if you see another business that's doing great and you just want to copy them and maybe slightly improve a few things, maybe even not, and you think that there is enough place on this market for both of you or for 100 companies that are doing that plus 
101st company of yours, then maybe it's okay to do the MVP since the market is proven by another 100 companies. And you are sure that you would be able to squeeze and take a part of their market, either by some additional competitive advantages or by simply doing the same in your own geographical area. And you would push them on the customer acquisition side with some marketing budget, with maybe some additional sparkling content, et cetera, et cetera. If the market is proven and you are sure that you can do not worse than these guys because they are growing so fast, go for it. Take your MVP budget and risk it. If there is something that you are really trying to invent or reinvent and do a little bit unique, then there is a risk that your uniqueness would not be valued by the world. And you might be willing to try to check it before investing your MVP budget. How would you do that? You can build a Figma prototype. You hire a nice designer, spend some time with him or her, a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months if your unique idea needs more iterations and more thinking. In the end, it will be just a designer, not the whole development team, which means it will cost you a small fraction of what the development team would cost you. So you end up with Figma prototype that is clickable, that you can share with people or investors or partners and get their feedback. If you want to go one step further, I advise you, and if your product is, let's say, a mobile app, or it includes the mobile app, maybe it's not just the mobile app, but it includes the mobile app, which is a patient or user-facing app, then you are welcome to build a dummy data mobile app prototype, which is a mobile app that can run on your mobile phone without the server-side backend, without the real data, without the user registration, user login, and all that functionality. So it acts like a normal mobile app, but it has some limitations. It has only a few main screens. It doesn't have all the crazy data validation when user inputs some data. It doesn't have the real server-side and backend functionality, which again has a benefit. It's costing you just a small fraction of what the real MVP development would cost you. It's slightly more expensive than a Figma prototype because it requires actually the mobile devs and requires the UIs to be nicely designed. But it's still, it can be done in a matter of weeks. So I think this is really important because again, a lot of these founders are non-technical and I think that they get a little bit of advice, maybe even from investors who also are likely non-technical, very experienced, seen a lot of startups. But the MVP is a big investment of time and money. And I think to your point, if you haven't validated that the need is really there and people are likely to pay, like they give you the insight or the feedback that they would be willing to pay, that's a lot of investment to make and you could be heading in the wrong direction. I think you can also marry this up with some marketing testing. We had a founder here, the founder of Lemless, a company based in France, and he actually tested his idea with no product. He would just build different landing pages with different subsets of function and ask people to register for the beta that didn't even exist at the time. So he would drive via advertising to these iterations of landing pages to find a winner in terms of the minimum viable product mm -hmm. capabilities. So I think what we're talking about here is really going way back to when I was a systems developer 
you know, which is unfortunately like 35 or 40 years ago. And we actually prototyped stuff before we built it. And those prototypes were non-functional, just as you described. So it's almost like we're going back to the future to accelerate development for these young companies. I think it's really great advice. I don't think you mentioned like the environment you might use on the handheld to build that prototype. I mean, if you're just doing a phone, you know, you're building an app for the phone and you want to cobble together a prototype, how would we do that? We would use the normal technology that the mobile apps are developed with. So first of all, you can run Figma prototypes on the phone. They would give a not very smooth user experience when you are running the Figma prototype on the mobile phone. But as I said, the next phase would be the mobile app with dummy data prototype, which is way faster than a complete normal mobile app MVP. And it would give you a smooth mobile app experience. And it would be way cheaper than a mobile app that's talking to a backend on a server because there is no backend in my case, which I am proposing. It's just the dummy data mobile app running on your phone. And it's still possible to do it in a matter of weeks after the designs are made. So first you complete the design phase with the Figma user experience and the high fidelity, high quality UI screens for some of the main screens of your mobile app. Then you turn it into mobile app with dummy data, with no backend, which still allows you to save lots of money because you don't have to put up the cloud. You don't have to put up the database with the database structure. You don't have to write all the backend code. You don't have to do all the possible scenarios that you need to do in the MVP with all the data validation by the backend of the data that's coming from the mobile app. And you will not have to build all the non-mobile front-end, which probably will be some kind of a web-based front-end for your internal operations. So you don't need all that. You will end up with 10% of your MVP budget when building the mobile app dummy data prototype. So I think that's really pretty exciting. A little bit of an Easter egg at the end of the episode, the idea of prototyping as opposed to building the MVP. Michael, I want to thank you so much. I think founders who are just getting ready to go will find the information in this episode truly valuable. If people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to find you? The best way would be to send a connection request to my LinkedIn. So... I believe you and hopefully you would be able to share that after the podcast. My LinkedIn is open, publicly available, and I will share it with you. Great. Yeah, we'll put it in our promotion email. And if folks want to reach me, I'm on LinkedIn slash in slash Ken Lempit or at austinlawrence.com. Michael, the website for your company, is that spsoft.com? Yes. There are other SPSofts or some replica SPSofts from India and other countries. So watch carefully. SPSoft.com is our main original SPSoft. The one and only original. Hey, Michael, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks for listening to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, brought to you by Austin Lawrence Group. We're a growth marketing agency that helps SaaS firms reduce churn, accelerate sales, and generate demand. Learn more about us at www.austinlawrence.com. You can email Ken Lempet at kl at austinlawrence.com about any SaaS marketing or customer retention subject.
We hope you'll subscribe, and thanks again for listening.